Is it getting to be that time again, my dears? I think it is. It is time for a new Burning Tarot reading. I'm T. This is Burning Tarot. And this is the podcast on which a select few of us regularly tune in and we just uh, we draw a tarot card and usually we take a nature walk as well. And we talk about the nature, and we talk about the tarot, and we we get ourselves a reading. So the reading is for me, too, and it's for all of you. And I know we get a lot of guest listeners, too. I don't follow my uh, metrics very much, but I see them sometimes. There's a lot of people out there who tune in, but we have a pretty small handful of friends who are regular listeners. And I want to say thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for buying readings, tarot and astrology readings from the website. You can do that at tiffanyleebrown.com. There's a little link that says shop. Um, yeah, and thank you for the little notes uh, that you send or when I, run out, when I run into you out in public here in Central Oregon when you talk about how the readings and the podcast are affecting you. That's really meaningful to me. I love to hear about it. So if you want to send me a little note about how your life is going and whether the readings are serving you right now, um, I am most easily reached via email to burningtarot at gmail.com. We are wandering around in the forest today of Central Oregon in the pines, under the pines. It's been raining a lot. Looks like we're going to have an El Nino year, which for us means we'll get more rain, less snow, kind of a bummer, but not enough precipitation to drag us out of the drought. Still, it's nice to see how mm, just different and beautiful the forest looks under the influence of rain. The bark on the many trees grows darker. And there's little, there's some sunlight slanting in, you know, that beautiful winter sunlight that comes in for those of us in the northern hemisphere up north. I am stopping here to um, take these little pieces of rain, little raindrops that have been left on the long, long pine needles of the ponderous pines. They're on the very tips, the very ends. And that slanted sunlight is striking them. So they look like their own Christmas trees, you know, with little lights glittering in them. And I'm reaching up and I'm putting those raindrops on my finger and eating them. Oh, here, this one's low enough. I'll just do it with my tongue. Oh, I gotta kind of move it. Special water. Where I grew up, we had a lot of fir trees. And in the springtime, when they had bright, bright chartreuse new growth coming off the ends of them, and the water would accumulate there, that was the most magical water. So anyway, that's what we got here. You may hear cars and human types of noises around. We're not going far into the forest today because I am still dealing with some health issues and I still need to stay close to home for a while. Um, yeah, well, there's our setup. So you're like, well, what's the card, dude? Let me tell you, dude. Where did I put it? I already drew it. Dun, dun, dun. We 
are using today, the Rider Pack or the Smith Rider Weight or the RWS or whichever crazy name you want to use for that kind of classic modern tarot deck. And it's the one illustrated by Pamela Coleman Smith, a.k.a. Pixie. Now, what we drew today, my friends, was the Wheel of Fortune, and more specifically, the Wheel of Fortune Reversed. Okay, so what's the Wheel of Fortune all about? Uh, There was a television show, like an American TV game show, where they would go, Wheel of Fortune, and they'd spin a wheel, and I, I think it was like you'd have a letter, and you'd try to guess a word, and you'd win a bunch of money, or if you're, um, if you're a Vegas, Las Vegas, you know, gambler kind of person, you might be familiar with a certain wheel there where you put your money down. Maybe you put your money on black. Maybe you put it on red. Maybe you put it on a particular number. And you hope, you hope that the wheel that turns... Well, the little ball will land right on your number, or at least on your color. And you'll win gazillions of monies, and wouldn't that be cool? So this idea of like, hey, spin the wheel, see what happens, is really very commonly built into our culture and into our pop culture. But if you think about it, like, well, where does this idea come from? set a wheel in motion and, you know, maybe you get a good lucky thing out of it. That's an interesting idea. Um, I think of the biblical wheels within wheels. Um, There's a song that I grew up with about Ezekiel saw two wheels a turning way in the middle of the air. Uh, a wheel within a wheel a turning way in the middle of the air. The big one ran by faith and or grace, faith, faith, I think. The little one ran by faith and the big one ran by the grace of God. There we go. Faith and grace. Wheels within, wheel within a wheel a turning way in the middle of the air. So we have in the Bible, you know, people having mystical experiences and or hallucinating, take your pick. Um, actual wheels spinning around. And this has something to do with God. This has something to do with how God speaks or reveals himself to Ezekiel. And uh, the Bible resonates with some tarot decks more than others, with some cards more than others, in the Wheel of Fortune that we've got from the Smith Rider Weight deck. We have um, kind of a mishmash of like Roman ideas or Greco-Roman ideas and Egyptian or kind of fake modern (laughs) Egyptian ideas because that's what all these cats specialized in, you know. They were very, um, you know, if you were Arthur Waite or you were Aleister Crowley, you know, you, you were doing all this at a time when um, white colonial people were digging up relics in Egypt. And this was very exciting. And those relics themselves, new things like photography, so photos of them, 
were making their way back uh, to places like England, America, etc. And people were super stoked. Um, I remember going to the Met Metropolitan Museum in New York one time, and the, the Egyptian rooms were just extraordinary, and they had some wonderful stuff out from that early 20th century age. Uh, so not just the real Egyptian stuff, but the, you know, how the later, um, later folks from essentially a, you know, rather different culture were interpreting it and what we might now call appropriating the ancient Egyptian culture. And they were putting it in jewelry and fashion, architecture. So, um, Art Nouveau, um, you know, and it's beautiful stuff. And so these, these mystical practitioners of the time and, you know, Masons and everybody, they liked to attribute the magical qualities of their practices to the Egyptians. So it's not just that you're doing a cool ritual with a bunch of people, you're legitimizing it theoretically by saying, well, we take this power from the ancient Egyptian practice of such and so. And, um, but you know, it's, it's, it's really, it's pretty syncretic, you know, which are like the practices many of us use today where we, we borrow a bit from here, borrow a bit from there, mishmash it all up and make ourselves a little, a little something that substitutes for religion. Because for various reasons, a lot of us will not do religion. So when we're looking at a card like the Wheel of Fortune, we're seeing that similar layering of different cultures, different influences. And uh, I think that's fun. And then they always throw in the Kabbalah, right? So obviously these, these cats, they like the Middle East. And then Middle East, North Africa, you know, so much powerful stuff came out of there. It's like the cradle of our civilization. So it makes sense that we would be attracted to that and say, well, let's, let's steal the, the Jewish mysticism. Let's borrow this from the Christian mystics. Let's borrow that from the Egyptians or just kind of make up what we think the Egyptians might have done or thought. Uh, and then that gets thrown in the blender with Greco-Roman, so Greek and Roman stuff that we honestly have better documentation of and whose influence is so clear on our culture um, that it feels a little less like, oh, hey, we're appropriating. It's just built into the whole thing. When we look at the Wheel of Fortune as they do it in this deck, it's kind of, it's kind of cluttered. It's got too much of that stuff in there. Um, uh, some, some other decks will have something a bit cleaner here. So what do we see on there? Well, we see a wheel. In this case, the wheel uh, has some English letters or like Roman alphabet style letters on there that spell out tarot uh, without the T on the end but also spell out other fun words that are relevant to all this. And those are interspersed with Hebrew letters. And in the Hebrew alphabet and in the Kabbalistic interpretations, um, 
the letters mean a hell of a lot more than just like, oh, this letter happens to represent a certain sound in a word. They are deeply meaningful. They are uh, correlated to numbers. And the whole system balances numerology with um, what an English speaker might think of as language. And then there's loads of like sort of historical references. It's almost like when you're looking at a Chinese glyph and somebody with knowledge of Chinese culture explains to you what that glyph means. You're like, wow, that's, that's a whole bunch packed into that. So there's, I think there's some of that wrapped into Hebrew, especially when you know that these kind of, you know, uh, writer weight kind of gentlemen are throwing them around. <laughs> they're trying to get, they're trying to pack in all the occult knowledge possible, you know, and without the internet, but you have the internet. So if you like playing with that stuff, um, I don't enjoy it that much anymore. So I don't talk about it a whole lot on the podcast, but you can look up all those Hebrew letters and all those different things that, that you can spell out with the English letters, T-A-R-O, and how they mean all these very deep things. Super cool if you want to take it in that direction. And what you'll often see in a Wheel of Fortune card, and we also see this here. Well, this one's a little different. Uh, you'll see symbols that represent the fixed signs of the zodiac up in the four corners of your Wheel of Fortune card. And you'll see those same representations in the World card. And so these are cards of the major arcana in the tarot, right? These are cards that are kind of big, heavy hitters. And, um, and so they... Those are represented here, right? We've got, but they're a little unusual. So for Taurus, we have, we do have a horned cow, as is appropriate. But this one's winged and is reading and writing. Which, you know what? I grew up raising cattle. Our cattle neither had wings, nor did they read and write. Go figure. So all the figures on this card are reading and writing and flying. And that's not really normal for a Wheel of Fortune card. But that's how they're doing it on this one. And so your fixed signs um, are, they're floating on clouds, which is an interesting place for something fixed to be, something solid, something that's hard to move, perhaps. Um, so Aquarius, Leo, Scorpio, Taurus from the Zodiac. So they're up in these corners here. And like I said, you'll see them again on the world card when you have a moment of great, you know, accumulation in your life. Um, in addition to all that, as if that weren't enough, holding the orange wheel in the middle here, we have our requisite Egyptomania moment. Um, so there's a snake slithering along the left-hand side of the wheel, and that probably represents Set, the Egyptian god Set. You know, it's like a god of darkness. Um, and snakes, 
snakes and serpents are often said to be a symbol. I mean, sometimes they're seen as a symbol of masculinity. You know, that's not too hard to figure out why, right? Just got to get phallic with it. But they're also said to represent priestesses and priestess energy, particularly dark goddess priestess energy. Um, Think of Adam and Eve, right? Uh, You know, you need the woman to taste the fruit of knowledge. Where does the knowledge come from? The snake brings it. The dude Adam doesn't get to knowledge by himself. So the woman, you know, Eve, is acting as a priestess there. She's the conduit between knowledge uh, and the man, or knowledge and the body, in the form of that apple. So we've got this, you know, snake over here. Towards the bottom of our wheel, a rather large figure of Anubis. Um, such a strange picture. <laughs> you should, you should totally look at it. It's really interesting. So Anubis is red in this one. Uh, Anubis is the son of Set, and he's got a jackal's head. Um, and there used to be this shop called Anubis Warpus in Santa Cruz. That was pretty cool. I bet it's still there. I don't even know. Anyway, so this Anubis is taking up quite a bit of this card visually. And it looks like the big wheel of fortune that we care about is kind of like in his butt crack. Like he's holding it up there. At the top of the wheel, um, we have a sphinx with a little stripy, very Egyptomania headdress holding a sword and hanging out on top of the wheel. I didn't really intend for the explanation of the visual of the card to go on quite so long. But here we are. Sorry, friends. We'll get to the interpretation any minute now. So, wow, what are you going to do with all this? Um, Internet rabbit hole is something you could do with this card, for sure. Um... Wheel of fortune. Wheels within wheels. And it's reversed for us this week. So what the wheel does, what the wheel's really doing here is showing us, reminding us of the role that fate or fortune plays in our lives. That process is not always fun, right? Sometimes we're reminded of the role of fate because some giant, horrible accident happens. You know, or a pandemic comes rolling through. And we're like, what just happened? Oh my gosh. And we become aware that all of our uh, wonderful contemporary ways of viewing the world, being all, you know, scientific materialist about stuff, or being, you know, super self-care oriented like well I take good care of myself but how did I just have a heart attack how could that happen I eat really well I jog every day and when you find out you're not immune you know this can freak a person out positive fortune can feel a little similar you're walking down the street 
You're like, mm, oh, look, somebody dropped a lottery ticket. Huh, I'm going to go check that against the winning lottery numbers tonight. I don't play the lottery, but I'll just do it for fun. And you do it, and you win the damn lottery. How do you explain that? How do you explain that to the guy that plays 10 lottery tickets a week and never wins? Well, really, it's just the wheel of fortune turning and turning. You might associate it with, um, like, the great wheel of fate, a karmic wheel that you might see in the Eastern religions like Hinduism and Buddhism. You know, or if you've gone to a Buddhist temple where those giant, giant wheels are actually turning, those things are weird. Very weird, but kind of fun. Um, you get this sense of, well, something that started at what looks like the beginning isn't really linear because it comes around at its end. It doesn't just go in a straight line and stop like a kind of existentialist scientific materialist view of time and reality you know like well I got born then I had these adventures I had rejoicing I had suffering I began to get old then I croaked I died and they put my body underground and I was done that can be a very soothing way of picturing stuff because then you can imagine that, that this will all end and the whateverness that seems to be oneself has an end point. You're not stuck with it forever. And I'm sorry if I sound negative about it. <laughs> but for some of us, you know, being alive can be, can be hard. And it's nice to know that it's not going to go on forever. So um, the gift of mortality is that the tough parts, we know those are going to end you know, and, and we can extra super duper appreciate the juicy good parts also because we know all this is going to end. You know, it, 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 that's what poetry often addresses. That, that sweet sodad, that beautiful rejoicing that has just a hint of knowledge and bittersweet, maybe melancholia underneath it, because we know just as we know that the leaves are going to fall from the trees and we're going to head to winter while we're leaping around in summer. We know it's not going to be summer forever. Depends where you live, people, right? We have some tropical listeners here. (laughs) For you, it's not so dramatic. But for us further north, it is dramatic. And it makes things more exciting, you know? So that linear vision sounds good, but a lot of us have different experiences of time. And people are visited by visions that appear to be their past lives. Voices that appear to be those of their ancestors who are somehow still kind of resonating through the different layers of reality to reach out to them with a message. How does that make sense? Well, if you're just doing linear scientific blah blah, it doesn't make sense. If you set that aside for a moment, then things really can make more sense. And our culture, our cultures are imbued with this image of a wheel or a wheel within a wheel or the idea of rebirth, the idea of getting to the bottom of a cycle 
swinging back up to the top of the cycle. Dying, reborn, come back, go again, spin the wheel, see what'll happen. Um, suddenly I'm thinking of the game of life. Have you ever played that, like board game? And there's a little wheel on that too. And you spin it, you get your little car and you get to put your little plastic people in the car as you go through the board game. Well, that's how it was when I was a kid. I don't know, maybe it's different now. So how does this wheel like get everywhere? You know, I think it's pretty interesting. So Fortuna, Fortuna, or Tyche, so that's a Greco-Roman goddess. And Fortuna's job was to, you know, wheel her loop around and make those decisions about fate for what was going to befall people. Little people running around doing their little thing. And so Fortuna is definitely implicated, provoked, invoked by this card. Her name is in there. The Wheel of Fortune. And the Greek version is Tyche. Um, so when we pull the Wheel of Fortune re- reversed like this, One one interpretation we can have is that it seems like fate isn't going our way. But more likely, it's that fate is doing its thing. Fortuna is running her wheel, and we're resisting it. We're not having that because we need this feeling that we're in control or that we influence events rather than the other way around. I think this makes our lives a lot more difficult in our contemporary, you know, capitalist lifestyle thing. A lot of our listeners are from North America, Canada, and the USA particularly. And we have a lot of UK and Ireland listeners too. Shout out to all of you elsewhere in India and, and everywhere else, mostly English-speaking places where we, we find Burning Tarot listeners. Hi, guys. <laughs> Hello. But I know the culture that I am in in America and which kind of infects <laughs> a lot of other Western cultures. There is, especially here, though, there's this mythology of of the individual. And this is particularly true out west, which is where I am. Right? This is this is the westernmost area that you can get to before you fall into the Pacific Ocean. California, Oregon, Washington, Alaska, BC. We're in Central Oregon. And this is the Wild West. The town I'm near here has a Wild West theme. It's part of what attracts tourists to it. But it's what actually is the actual history here. Settlers came. Uh, The white European settler type people drove out. Native indigenous peoples pushed them onto reservations. There were wars. These white people chopped down the enormous forest that was here before. Enormous. Enormous trees. 
And so we still have some old growth growing out here, but a lot of it has, is replanted, is first or second growth. It's a place where, you know, you're supposed to have this mythology that really comes from Hollywood, like movies and TV shows, and, um, you know, bucking bronco style dime novels of the early 20th century, early mid 20th century. They're like creating this mythology of what the Wild West was. And some of that's probably true, but some of it's probably bullshit. So the people came, they ran cattle, they, uh, then other people came and were herding sheep. Well, the cattle people didn't like the sheep people, and so they shot them. This is true, sheep wars. And I didn't know this until pretty recently. I was looking at a little sheep herder's wagon at the High Desert Museum near Bend, Oregon. Cute little wagon. I was like, oh my gosh, perfect little tiny house. And it just had a little plaque and just happened to mention, like, oh yeah, you'd go out to run your sheep on this land that, did anybody own it? Well, not, not really, but everybody thought they should do whatever they want on it. Uh, all the white people with guns. And, um, yeah, and the, the cattle folks um, <laughs> would come around and shoot you in your little sheep wagon. And that, that is the feeling that the American West is based on. It's a, a mythology having to do with, I'm an individual, I'm making something happen. If anybody gets in my way, it's my job to move them aside. I think in reality, we would probably find that communities such as pioneer settler communities had a great deal of community. Because really, how the fuck else are you going to survive out there in strange new territory with harsh weather, difficulty growing, you know, tough growing season like we have here? You would have to be cooperating with a lot of people to make, to make things happen, to make trade happen. But we have this, like, individualist uh, vision built into our manifest destiny, Western identity, Marlboro man on his horse with a cowboy hat. We've got it built into our founding fathers in their powdered wigs uh, in America. The whole idea is that the group or the government shouldn't, (coughs) excuse me, shouldn't get in your way you know not enough to prevent you from doing whatever harebrained thing you might get up to and how we sort of interpret that feeling today I think and by the way that wild west spirit um and that kind of fake individualism is a huge driver in how the internet was both built and how it evolved into a huge part of our lives. Because it wasn't built to be a commercial engine for people to hang out. It was built for um, national security and then, and then science, basically, research and stuff. And then it turned into what it is now. People like me were part of that process back in the 90s. And so the, that mythology was like, well, the internet is the wild frontier. It's the new Wild West. So in all these cases, we just have this image of 
some dude being innovative or making his own personal way across the plains on his horse. And, and that's how maybe you're supposed to do it. And you start getting the impression that maybe, maybe everybody's supposed to be a well-abled, you know, muscular, tough, white guy. And each of us is supposed to be able to navigate our world from this place of great individuality and by implication, control. That whole individualism thing falls apart if you don't have a concurrent belief that each person can be their own self-made man. You know, you need that, that idea in order to keep propping up the individual, the big proud you know, I think of it as like a 20th century phenomenon, but it's definitely still with us today. Like that pressure to be a successful, self-made man. We carry that with us. And we have sophisticated marketing machinery. And I'm part of that too. I work part-time in marketing. That's where the money is. Uh, and, and so we know how to manipulate people and their desire to have that fake individuality, that power, that feeling of control over their lives. They want to feel that way. And, and I want to feel that way, and you probably do too, right? We're going to step inside here. Pardon the extra noises here. So we have this desire to imagine that we are the self-made person and that we are controlling what happens next. And that each and every one of our decisions informs what's going to happen. We're going to avoid having that heart attack because we're not going to eat that cookie that we see in front of us that looks so tasty. So this actually puts a hell of a lot of pressure on us. You know, if we take fate out of the equation and we say, well, it's, it's just about whether I pulled myself up from my bootstraps and my health or my finances are reliant on how well I manage money or how successful I was in the uh, workplace or how successful I am right now. And it's an interesting way of looking at things and it really falls apart pretty quickly. I mentioned before about um, the internet and so this whole mentality is, uh, oops, excuse me, it's part of the Silicon Valley, <coughs> excuse me, Silicon Valley ethos of kind of there's this libertarian theme running through it. And a lot of the critiques of the, not just the technology, but the technology cultures and the startup culture and the money culture that, that builds into all of our tech, a lot of those critiques will bring this up too. Because it's not really true. If you didn't do well in the workplace, let's say you're retired you didn't make much money when you were in the workplace. Now you can look back at that and say, well, that's because, gosh, here's these decisions I made wrong, or here's, 
how I didn't work hard enough. You could really beat yourself up about that all day. But it might be um, that you were an introvert in a workplace that was only accommodating extroverts. Like, how were you supposed to function there? Maybe you had ADHD, right? You didn't even know it. People didn't have that diagnosis back then. Maybe you were female, (laughs) you know? So good luck with that. Oh, even better, maybe you were female of color. So if you were sitting around beating yourself up about not succeeding in that environment, I think most reasonable people today, certainly not all of them, but most people go, oh, well, you know, that's a pretty, you didn't really stand a chance of becoming CEO of that company if you were a black woman working at that company in 1984. So I'm kind of ranting about all this stuff as an example of just how wildly, um, how wildly we've spun our belief system away from these ideas of fate. You can think about that while I have some water. Mm. And so we kind of lack respect for fate in that context, don't we? We're like, wheel of fortune, Uh uh-huh, whatever. It's all still up to me. Whether I eat the cookie, whether I have the heart attack, (laughs) whether I made enough money to get through my retirement, When we engage with tarot, when we engage with astrology, when we engage with these ancient and or religious mythologies and figures and gods and goddesses, that's bringing us back into something, frankly, a lot more normal. The modern American style of thinking is a new one. And it's weird. It's kind of incorrect. And... um, take off my jacket now that we're inside. Pardon all the squishy noises. So it puts us in this situation of saying, well, you know, maybe I don't want to fall into religion. Maybe some of us have had bad experiences with that. Or we don't like the cruelty of our friends and family members who are religious and using religion to harm others or make policy choices that harm others, you know, we may not be able to do religion anymore. That would be me, and I'm sure that's some of you. When we pull the wheel of fortune, when we acknowledge that there still is, despite despite our modernity, despite science saying this or that, we still are not in control. There's a whole lot that we're not in control of. And turning to Tarot and astrology is actually a kind of nice <laughs> relief, you know, relieving way of saying, I got to admit that other forces are at play every day when I'm living my life. And it would help me if I had interesting ways to think about those forces, if I had other people to explore those forces with, if I could name them, such as after goddesses and gods, that would give me something valuable to work with. And it would remind me that I'm not the most important thing in the world. 
That might be the most important thing in my world sometimes. Um, But I'm part of something much larger. When we draw the wheel of fortune, it's going to remind us of that. When we draw it reversed, we may be kind of fighting against the wheel. And you can't. Um, I mean, you can, well, you can fight, sure. <laughs> but you can't stop it. It's like trying to stop death. The Wheel of Fortune really is, you know, a representation of the life cycle and death. And, and you know, good luck. Good luck getting past that. Uh, you know, sneaking past death. And if you know any stories, you know, when somebody does get past death, the end result isn't usually very great. They're usually like a real asshole vampire who lives too long, or it's like some poor Frankenstein monster who has an unhappy little post, you know, zombie life. So Wheel of Fortune reminds us we're part of this bigger loop where, you know, we're going into the darkness with the snake god set. Anubis is uh, allowing us to come back to rebirth and knowledge with the Sphinx, the Sphinx who stands atop all these mysteries. Um, what am I thinking? There's, oh, Agamemnon, the Agamemnon story, I think. There's a whole, like, hymn to Fortuna, the goddess of fate, and an acknowledgement that every kingdom is going to get crushed under its own weight. Anything that starts at the top of the wheel will end up underneath the wheel, getting crushed. And and that's, um, there are rituals about that from like the dark ages and the medieval times of of the priestesses you know enacting a ritual of killing the king every year and then the new king is reborn and obviously you can see that in Christianity and in other other um traditions so fate kind of demands sacrifice and death but that's the only way you get to the goodies of the rebirth of the new part of going back up the wheel and think about like if you're on a ferris wheel (laughs) you know at the carnival you get on at the bottom it goes up to the top you can see the whole city you're on top of the world You, you know you kiss the girl you're up there with and then it comes back down to the bottom and maybe they don't kill you at the bottom of the ferris wheel one should hope but you're done. You have to get off the Ferris wheel now. Your time is over. You can only be up there at the top for so long. Wheel of Fortune reminds us that we're not running every show. I would say it can imply that it would, you know, we might be well disposed to look actively for the hand of fate in our lives right now. And if you start looking for that, you'll you'll probably end up in a place of gratitude and also in a place of fear. Because you'll go, oh, well, look, I I have a house right now. This is pretty cool. And what I do is is I talk 
<laughs> I talk to inanimate objects in, in my house, in my room, you know, and I say, thank you, house. This is great. Wow, thanks. You can make that a really positive experience. And you could say, well, my husband and I, and we worked so hard and we sold that other house and, you know, all these things that we went through to get this house, the things we still go through to keep this house. And sure, we'll take a little credit for that. But some of it is just kind of luck, really. It's nice. The woman who helped us get this house uh, is somebody that I'm no, no longer even friends with. We pretty much avoid each other. But I'm sure glad that back then we were friends. She helped me get this house. That's amazing. So um, when you start looking for the hand of fate and removing yourself a little bit from all the levers of causality, it can be quite profound. The, the joy and the gratitude come from recognizing like, wow, I can get out of bed today. And if you got out of bed today and, and are not grateful for it, I recommend a, a good course of chronic illness. You will learn to appreciate being able to get out of bed because you'll compare it to how you were before. And I've had those times in my life where I couldn't get out of bed for more than a few minutes. It sucks. So that enables me to be more appreciative of what seem like small things, but are really rather bedrock foundations of our lives. Did you get food today? Wow, that's cool. Thank you, Fates. Thank you, Goddess Fortuna. You know? Um, and you can kind of look back on your life and see a lot of randomish <laughs> or synchronistic events that typically unfold over a lifetime. And maybe some of the ones that seem crummy weren't really anybody's fault. Maybe they were just fate. And maybe we don't understand the importance of those events until they're receding in our rearview mirrors. And maybe when we look back on our lives, we realize how fortune intervened in many different times, either to give us a golden goodie or to open up some weird path that maybe, maybe we're still not sure why we took that path, but it felt faded. When you pull this card, especially when this card comes right side up, uh, generally like, yeah, look for those opportunities. Be happily prepared for fate to start throwing stuff your way. And don't make the mistake of thinking it's all about you and all about your decisions and all about your preparations. Sure, those things matter, but fate, when fate is trying to tug at you, it, I think it really makes sense to pay attention, to listen, to be open. So to be an active listener in the discussion, but with the knowledge that fate or the gods or the woo, whoever, you know, whoever it is, they're a hell of a lot bigger than you and if there's some kind of plan to all this, you might not know that plan. You're just one little player, one little creature on this planet with billions and billions of other creatures. And I think that's fun. <laughs> I think it's fun to be reminded like, oh, I'm not in charge of everything. This is cool. Um, like I said, the reversal can be read when the card comes upside down, reversed. You can read it as, uh-oh, it's going to be bad fate. But I think it's more commonly read as, 
You might be resisting fate. You might be resisting change. Wheel of Fortune doesn't necessarily say change is coming down the pike, but it suggests that it might. And the opportunity for rebirth is not something to squander or run screaming from, uh, even though change can be hard. And maybe that's why those fixed signs are, are pinning down the corners of the Wheel of Fortune card and the World card to provide some steadiness so that we, in all of our, you know, small, insecure, material, bodily functions, the way that we are on the planet, maybe that gives us something solid to work with while the wheel in the middle is spinning, 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 spinning. Can't escape the wheel. The wheel can have wonderful knowledge, can bring surprising mysteries, can crush a king uh, and let the king's son be born again. Um, And there's some King Arthur legend about this too. I'll have to look that up sometime. Um, Of King Arthur you know, saying that he's crushed under the wheel of fortune, I think, towards the end of his life. But that's just part of the wheel, you know? There's there's a crushing part, and then there's a getting back up part. We may feel fate this week. Uh, Lady Fortuna. We may really feel that as uh, external events kind of crushing in on us a bit. External events can be personal, such as familial stuff or something in your everyday life, your health. But it might also be coming in through the news and through the larger world events that, um, that are really big right now. And there's been a lot of that over the last... I mean, for years now, it's just been kind of like, wow... This war, that war, this pandemic, these horrible people doing this to these other people. Whoa, it's been, it's been rough. So you may start feeling your wheel of fortune, fate pushing you around, maybe more connected to those larger world events. I would say if you have the opportunity to do so, uh, you should consider disconnecting from those larger world events in terms of a constant information stream. Uh, so that you can be attentive to your own people, to your own local community, to these nudges of fate and these spiritual moments that may open up for you at this time. We also have Neptune stationing right now if you're into astrology. For some of us, that's, that's a big deal and probably a good time for having visions uh, or, or maybe some big emotional overwhelm. Or, or, but it could be positive, a good time for meditation and prayer. So you're going to miss that if you're just like watching the horrible, endless war <laughs> on TV or uh, on the whatever BBC website. Um, so if some of your Wheel of Fortune feelings are feeling external in the larger sense, you know, consider unplugging at least some of the time. Um, Personally, I'm going to go back to this method I used to use, which is where I had terrible Tuesdays. 
And the rest of the week, I, I place restrictions on myself in terms of using certain types of media and online media. And then Terrible Tuesday, I can read whatever the hell I want. I can go on Facebook. I can read the New York Times. And um, so that kind of confines whether I'm being bombarded constantly by these things. And what I found last time I did this was that over the months, I realized I was scheduling a lot of interesting things on my Tuesdays to kind of keep myself from availing myself of the opportunity to just do world events and social media. So I don't know how it's going to go this time, but I thought I'd throw that out there. Some people might enjoy that. For ourselves, fate is always coming for us. We're part of fate. And and that can be fun. That can be a relief. It requires a great deal of trust uh, in oneself and in the universe to step back from the endless striving toward making everything happen the way we want it to. It takes a lot to step back from that and say, okay, even if it's just for 24 hours, universe, this one's up to you. Or if with our reversed wheel of fortune, if you've been feeling something, pushing you towards something, and you don't know why, and it doesn't fit in with your three-year plan or your five-year plan, or with all the other, you know, very sensible stuff you're doing in your life, you might feel like, okay, this card is an indication that that intuitive drive that you're feeling, and often these will be accompanied by synchronicities, right? So let's say that you suddenly found yourself attracted over and over to being um, a puppeteer. And you're like, what? Why am I so interested in this all of a sudden? I haven't made a puppet since, you know, freshman year of college when I took that puppet class. But you're, you're drawn to it. And then suddenly puppet stuff starts popping up everywhere in your life. You start really noticing, like, oh my gosh, everything my kids watch has puppets in it. Da, 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 da. You might be getting pushed towards your next career as a puppeteer. But you may have this, you know, couple months, couple years period of time where you cannot fathom doing something as crazy as becoming a puppeteer in the middle of nowhere in the middle of your life. But, but this wheel of fortune might urge you to notice, might urge you to say, oh, this is real. And the reason I keep seeing puppets everywhere is because I'm really supposed to do this with my life. So how can I bring this in as a decent hobby? This would be a good time for that, a very good time. Take that thing that you're intuitively pushing towards or that the universe seems like it's been pushing you towards and maybe you don't even think you like whatever that thing is. This is a great time to just let go of all that resistance. You don't necessarily have to follow this new path forever, but you can definitely start the investigation from a less uh, blocked point of view. Just be like, okay, I don't know why it seems like everybody's telling me I should go to nursing school, but I'm going to go ahead and go to this introductory seminar about nursing school, just for the heck of it. So that's another approach to this card is, 
your own resistance may have been building for a long time. And with the reversal, you know, the tarot is telling us, hey, look to your resistance. You may need to just let it go. And you might just need to let go in general and be like, okay, let's not have too many uh, plans in place for the holidays. If things fall through, let's be chill about it. Picture this wheel of fortune. It's just the, the hand of fate. It's the wheel rolling along. Stuff might happen. So you can also take it that way. Like, okay, let's chill. Let's leave enough space for fate to do its thing without, um, without it becoming too stressful for us. So the positive things that fate has for us, Lady Fortuna coming along with her shining hoop, and we want to take our place on the wheel and go for the adventure and stand in line, you know, to get on that Ferris wheel. We want to have that view of the city, even if it's just for a moment. And so it can really help to create enough space around ourselves, our schedules, our responsibilities, etc., to be open to that fate and just say, you know, huh, where can I drop my resistance to change or or, or being pushed in an interesting new direction? Um, this has gone really super long. I hope it is of use to you. I hope you have wonderful holidays. And I'm T. This is Burning Tarot.